0: Welcome to Addressing Alaskans, where we feature community conversations around South-Central Alaska. Join us on Alaska Public Media as we travel throughout our community and listen to local groups discuss what matters to them. Thanks for joining us today for Addressing Alaskans, I'm Ammon Swenson. On today's show, we have a debate about Ballot Measure 2 regarding top four ranked choice voting and campaign finance disclosures. This event was held virtually on October 14th and presented by Alaska Common Ground. Speaking in support of the initiative are Scott Kendall and Andrew Halcrow. Kendall is counsel to the Yes on 2 for Better Elections campaign and worked as chief of staff to former Governor Bill Walker. Halcrow is a former state representative and currently the executive director of the Anchorage Community Development Authority. Speaking against the initiative are Brett Huber and Anna McKinnon. Huber is the campaign manager for Vote No on Ballot Measure 2 and former small business owner and fishing guide. McKinnon is a former state senator and co-chair on Defend Alaska Elections Vote No on 2. We'll start with moderator Thea Agnew-Bembin.
1: Before we start, I just want to state the proposition that we're discussing tonight. So the proposition is basically should Alaskans vote yes to pass ballot measure 2? So starting with the first speaker who is speaking for ballot measure 2, we have Scott Kendall. So I'll hand it over to you, Scott. And I'll start the timer as soon as you uh, start your presentation.
2: And so today we're going to talk about the problems with Alaska's elections. We've got a broken primary system. We end up with winners without majorities in the general. And we've got an ever-increasing amount of dark money or anonymous money going through our election system. We don't know who's spending money to influence our votes. The solution to all three problems is a yes on two on on measure two. Problem number one, the broken primary system. Alaskans have to choose a party ballot instead of choosing the best candidates. Over 60% of Alaskans are not, are not affiliated with either major party, but they're all forced to pick a partisan ballot. They can't vote across party lines, and they can't choose all the candidates their choice. And U's and ends who are candidates can't even appear on a primary ballot at all. Partisan primaries incentivize extreme campaigns and not solutions. It's a system built to preserve party control of elections, and it shows, because it drives turnout down. Turnout this year was 20%. Sometimes it's lower. And what's worse is that low turnout is then divided between two separate ballots. So the bottom line is 6%, 5% of the electorate can decide who the winner is. And that's often the most extreme 5 or 6%. And in a a, part, a district that's slanted one way or the other, that 5 or 6% may in fact decide who wins the general election. This system punishes statesmanship and rewards division. The solution, all candidates... Would be on the same ballot. All voters get the same ballot regardless of their party affiliation or lack thereof. You just simply vote for your favorite and the top four move on to the general election in every race. More choices on the general election ballot and the, and the voters get the four best candidates. Turnout will go up because now this is an election for all Alaskans, not just party insiders. Now public officials under this new regime would be incentivized to put forward real solutions. And if they don't deliver, they're accountable to all of their voters, not the partisan few. Problem number two is winners without majorities. Alaskans aren't governed by majority winners. No candidate has won a majority vote in US Senate race since 2002 and only five of Alaska's governors have ever won a majority. The result is candidates running negative campaigns. There's no focus on solutions. They're just focused on knocking down their opponent and turning out their own base. Another result is the spoiler effect. That's the idea that you risk support, that supporting the candidate you like the most might actually directly elect the candidate you like the least. And then what this ends up with is dividing the vote and candidates can win with 30%, 39%, 40%, even though a large majority preferred someone else. So the solution, ranked choice voting for the general election. Here's your ballot. You rank the candidates in order of your preference. The candidates are listed and you go across your number one, and if your number one candidate is in last place, then you simply have the option that your vote go to the next choice. The benefits are clear. You get a majority winner every time. And although you get more choices, the spoiler effect is eliminated. Um, You get positive solution-focused campaigns. Candidates need a true majority, not just their party base. And so if you can't run a campaign to 50% plus one of your electorate, why are you even running? This current system that we use first past the post is not how you make decisions in real life. If our first choice is not available, we often, we don't just decide to do the opposite. If you really need a truck, you don't go to the Ford dealership and look for an F-150. And if they're out of F-150 trucks, you drive off in a Ford Taurus. That's not what rational humans do. We go across the street and we look at a Chevy truck or a Toyota truck, or we wait for it to get back in stock. The opposition will say, this makes it too hard for people to vote but we believe Alaskans could count to four. And finally, if you only want to vote for one candidate, you can, that's written into the law and your vote will be counted just like it is now and your vote will be treated no differently than if you voted in the current system. Problem number three. So this is essentially political spending that we don't know the source of. This graph shows you the problem of dark money. The true source there on the left is whoever earned or inherited the funds to be spent. Could be a company, could be a wealthy individual. The intermediary are entities that often exist only to launder money through them. And they have made up names. They could be Americans for apple pie, Alaskans for strong families, but that true source gives the money to the intermediary and the intermediary gives it to the independent expenditure group. You might also know those as a super PAC. It's basically an entity that runs a campaign that is not run by a candidate. And when they report who's paying for the campaign, unfortunately, under current law, all they report is the intermediary. The public doesn't know, Alaskans do not know who is paying to influence their vote. So the solution is to require transparency. And 81% of Alaskans agree, we deserve transparency in election spending. We have a fundamental right to know who is funding our campaigns. The solution, ballot measure two, will require candidate campaigns to inquire and disclose the true source of every contribution. Any any donation over $2,000 It's going to be disclosed within $2,000 will be disclosed within 24 hours. None of this finding out in December who paid for the election, Alaskans will know in real time. And another disclosure requirement will require any group that gets over 50% of its funding from outside to put that in their disclaimer, to say this organization gets over 50% of its funding from outside Alaska. So you're going to hear a lot about um, ballot measure two is unconstitutional. Okay, Scott, I'm going to, sorry, I'm going to have to cut you off there because I actually gave you a little extra time already. Um, And again, um, we've stated the problems and the solutions as a yes on ballot measure two.
1: Thank you, Scott. Uh, Now we're going to have our first speaker against ballot measure two, which is Brett Huber. So Brett, I'll give the floor to you.
3: Ballot measure two is a 25-page, 74-section proposal being promoted by out-of-state billionaires. In fact, over 99% of their funding is from out-of-state. This initiative cobbles together two failed election experiments from the lower 48 and tries to impose this tangled mess on Alaska voters. So-called rank choice voting requires voters to assign a score to every candidate on the ballot or risk having their ballot thrown out. Every candidate, whether you support them or not. The California-style jungle primary will be imposed on Alaska voters It throws all candidates into one combined primary and robs Alaskans of their ability to select political party nominees to compete against other candidates in the general election. Alaskans aren't better or worse if they choose to affiliate or if they choose to not affiliate. We're all Alaskans. The Pays consultants that Billioners hired to sell Ballot Measure 2 will tell you that they're fixing flaws in Alaska's traditional time-honored election method. But as we'll discuss, Alaska has the problems they claim, and Ballot Measure 2 doesn't have the problems they've invented. Our systems have been in place for over 250 years. It's normal, typical, and easily understood by voters. Their radical substitutes are rare, unusual, complicated, and jam-packed with problems. Like our simple and transparent One Alaska One Vote system, we believe ranked choice voting is not fair, not democratic, and not needed. Some votes may count many times, while some don't count at all. A confusing computer reshuffle decides the winner, and the candidate with the most votes doesn't always win. We believe this to be unconstitutional, and there are a lot of problems with this issue. The devil is in the details, and with 25 pages and 74 sections, there's lots of rooms for problems in litigation. In fact, Maine, the only state to use ranked choice voting, has seen four years of litigation already, and more to come as they're likely years away from a decision in the U.S. Supreme Court. This has been tried in about 20 jurisdictions. It's already been repealed in Birmingham, Vermont, Aspen, Colorado, Pierce County, Washington, Ann Arbor, Michigan, and all throughout North Carolina. Efforts are underway to repeal it in Maine, the only state that has adopted this RCV system. The reasons cited for repeal are the same as the reasons to vote no: three reasons—ballot exhaustion, complexity, and lack of surety. Proponents will claim you only need to vote for one candidate. True, we've never denied this. But if you've chosen, if your chosen candidate loses, everyone else gets to vote in the computerized instant runoff, while your ballot is thrown out. It's like you never voted. And if your chosen candidate wins with less than 50% in a four-way race, which will virtually never happen, your winning vote sits and waits for the contrived majority method to give the race to the candidate that finished third. This system would require Alaskans to cast a vote for all candidates they disagree with or have their vote not count at all. No more champions of your most important issues, be that education, gun rights, homelessness, jobs, healthcare, whatever. Instead, we'll have the least objectionable candidate that's taken no position on the issues as a winner comprised of a contrived majority the candidate that says the least and smiles the most. In the Olympics, we don't give the gold medal to the athlete that finishes third. Why would we do so when picking our leaders? How big a problem is ballot exhaustion? Study from University of North Carolina, Wilmington and Ohio State University found that ranked choice ballot exhaustion ranges from 10 to 27%. In San Francisco, despite having used ranked choice voting since 2004, 27% of voters effectively cast no vote in the 2011 mayoral election because of exhausted ballots. 55,000 votes that were counted and didn't matter to the outcome. There's no ballot exhaustion in Alaska now. We all get one vote and they're all counted once. The candidate with the most vote wins. We believe it to be fair, transparent, and easily understood. Our system has no tired ballots, no voters tossed aside, and every Alaskan vote counts the same. Our system makes sense, which is likely why the proponents have counted on over 99% of their financial support from outside billionaires, and why at only $18,000 of a $5.8 million campaign war chest has come from Alaskans. It's true, Alaskans are a mere rounding error in this hard sell scheme. So why are these out-of-state billionaires pushing it in Alaska? What do they want? Who are they? Three main billionaires are led by Catherine Murdock of New York. Google them, and decide if these are the folks we want controlling our elections. But what do they want? What are the billionaires really trying to buy? We believe it's time to send them a clear message in this election, Alaska is not for sale. These billionaires are doing the same thing across the country in smaller states like North Dakota, Arkansas, and Maine, where it's cheap to buy elections thanks to low populations. The proponents would have you believe they wrote this bill for Alaska. This is completely false. You can see the same language in Maine, Massachusetts, and now Alaska. It's a cut-and-paste job from model legislation written by their national group. It's also been kicked off the ballot in two states, North Dakota and Arkansas, because the courts found that the paid signature gatherers didn't show petition signers the text. Have any of you seen the text? 25 pages. Seems to be a pattern. This is not an Alaskan solution. It's not even an Alaskan idea. People have been absent in this process. No legislative hearings, no public participation. They didn't want your input, but now they want your vote. This effort appears to begun with a couple of disgruntled politicians who failed to win election and a couple of crafty political operatives. Our group Defend Alaska Elections Vote No On 2 respectfully asks tonight's viewers and Alaskans across the state to turn down this misguided experiment and send these billionaires packing. We respectfully ask for you to vote no on ballot measure two. Thank you.
1: Great. Thank you. Okay. So now we will have our second speaker for ballot measure two. Andrew, I invite you to take the floor.
4: Good evening, fellow Alaskans. Uh, my name is Andrew Howcrow, and I am a recovering politician. Thank you for letting me into your homes to talk about ballot measure two, which I am very passionate about due to my very personal experiences running as a Republican in the current closed primary system. Alaska is not for sale, Mr. Huber just said. On November 3rd, 1998, I was elected to the Alaska State House of Representatives. I was elected after a very contentious Republican primary. Two days after the election and on the same day, as a freshman legislator, the House Republicans were scheduled to meet in order to elect the Speaker of the House and the rest of the House leadership. I was in my office, it was around noon, uh, and my phone rang. The voice on the other end said, Andrew, this is Bill Allen. At that time, Bill Allen was the most prolific Republican donor in Alaska's history. Every candidate was familiar with Bill Allen, head of VICO, power broker in the Republican Party, a literal maker and breaker of candidates. He proceeded to say, I donated to you, my executives donated to you, and we helped you get through a tough primary. In addition, my six-figure donation to the national party that was then funneled through to the state party helped save the House Republican majority in this year's election. He kept right on. Because of my support for you, he told me, I would like you to support Representative Cott to be Speaker of the House. Now, I was speechless, right? I mean, I I was a naive freshman that just got elected to the legislature. I, I, I was literally speechless, which is hard to believe considering that I am never speechless. I thought to myself, is this really happening? I mean, is this, this is the type of scene you see in some kind of sad political thriller. I told him, look, I I appreciate your support for my campaign, but I think this call is way out of line and I have to go. And I hung up the phone. Ladies and gentlemen, exactly 10 years later, both Bill Allen and Pete Cott were in jail, charged with an array of crimes, including bribery. That was 1998. And that was the standard game plan. Current primary system allows the creation of a dependent relationship between the donor and the party and the candidate. What happens next is what happens when any dependent behavior uh, with any dependent behavior it controls you and your behavior. Once elected, because the candidate wants to continue the support of the donor and the party and does not want to same they don't want a primary opponent, uh, it, it alters their behavior. As a recovering politician, I can tell you that politicians up in a re-election year are a nervous group like a bunch of long-tailed cats in a room full of rocking chairs. The threat of a primary opponent for incumbent that doesn't toe the party line is real. It changes behaviors, it changes votes, and it robs Alaskans of leadership when it needs it the very most. Let's forward to 2020, 22 years after I had this conversation with Bill Allen. The scales have become even more unbalanced in favor of political parties and undue political influence. Now in a closed Republican, it's not a few donors like Bill Allen working with the party to control candidates. It's outside groups aligned with the party that are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to manipulate the primary election. Just two months ago, politically aligned groups had dropped over $170,000 by July. To put that into perspective, if you combined all other spending from all of the candidates during that same period, it would be $300,000. That means 30% of the total money spent during that short period was by politically aligned groups trying to pick candidates that would do their bidding. I mean, we have evidence that just surfaced three weeks ago when you heard the CEO of Pebble Mine bragging about how he was part of a group of donors who helped defeat incumbents in the primary because they were not aligned with his company's agenda. The problem with undue influence in closed primaries is real. It's getting worse and it's time to alter the balance in favor of Alaskans. Ballot measure two is not gonna cure all of our problems, but it is necessary to begin changing the current political power structure in favor of voters by providing more choices and more transparency. So please, you know, just remember, as this conversation progresses over the next three weeks, please remember the group opposing ballot measure two to reform elections are only concerned with maintaining the status quo and maintaining their power. They are only concerned about their power. They're not concerned about your power. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Andrew. We will now have our second speaker against ballot measure two, Anna McKinnon. Over to you, Anna.
5: Thank you to everyone who's joining us here tonight. And Andrew, I'm sorry that I didn't have a chance uh, to work with you. Of course, I'm scripted for tonight, but your uh, passionate speech uh, begs me to actually insert some of my experiences that are very different than yours. I was first elected in 1999 and uh, went against a Republican and wasn't liked by the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. Um, I was an unknown, a mom of two, advocating for my kids' school, local politics to the very end. I handed out uh, pieces of paper that were Xeroxed at the local Xerox machine and beat an incumbent. And I ran against Peacock before it was announced that there was anything corrupt going on, or I'm not sure if the offices were raided yet, but I beat Peacock in a primary as well. Um, People who donated to my campaign knew up front that I was an independent thinker and that they could not influence what I was going to do. In fact, lobbyists took me out to try to sway me. And when they tried to pick up the coffee or anything else, I laid my money on the table and very abruptly pushed back and told them right where they were with me that I was for the people and that I was going to be a voice representing the people. And they respected that. And that maintained through my entire career. It's never fun to beat incumbents or... I don't take victory laps when I win an election. I'm humbled that voters came and supported me. And I remembered that every step of the way through my career. So I am so sorry um, that you experienced something different than I did. The party bosses didn't want me on the ticket. But I won because the people put me on the ticket. Parties don't vote for elected officials. People do. And people cared when I came to their door and knocked. And people cared enough to give me $5 or $50. And I won that first race with uh, under $8,000. And now I look at this race. You know, I've, I've been in Alaska for 60 years. I've watched the races come and go and different parties going back and forth, whether it's political parties or outside influence. And I've got to tell you what's worst about this initiative for me is $5 million coming in to tell Alaskans what they need to do differently. But I, I respect you, Andrew. You have been involved in some incredible things, and I respect the people on the other side of this um, debate. Uh, but for me, it's about one vote and one person and disenfranchising voters in different ways. Um, does not appeal to me um, in the sense that ha- how you and Scott have described it. So... Again, back on my script, um, for those of you following, there is a huge issue with spoiled ballots that can disenfranchise voters. I want you to think about this picture. It's a sample ballot from San Francisco and Berkeley. And I want you to remember this picture when the proponents of this major uh, talk about the simplicity, because this is a very confusing ballot. And if you're a senior or if, you're, if English is your second language, you're gonna have a hard time filling this particular ballot out. And I'm not sure uh, if you remember, for me, I called it the hanging chads in the election, um, in the elections in Florida that decided one of our presidential campaigns, or our presidential votes. Um, in my script, it's calling for uh, butterfly ballots, but I remember them as hanging chads in um, the Al Gore uh, Bush uh, presidential election. But the people who are advantaged most uh, in this are people who have the time to sit and read and review and look at all the candidates and all the issues that they represent and take the time like you are tonight to talk about these things. But so I like work process and I like research. And that's why I like to hear from voters about things that are important to them. That's why I went knocking door to door on every election. That's why for... A decade, I tried to answer all of my own emails so that I would be connected with the people who voted for me and for those who didn't vote for me. Um, I had to work as a single mom, uh, multiple jobs to try to provide for my family. Uh, But people who don't have the time uh, to sit sit and look are uh, sometimes those of a minority or those less affluent, those uh, in poverty. And so this research uh, shows that white voters are favored and rich voters are favored, wealthy, wealthy voters. In a discussion a research paper from Lawrence Jacobs, he's the professor at the University of Minnesota. He said that it leaves open a well-documented voting gap that favors white and influential, affluent voters. The evidence shows a clear pattern. In Minneapolis, voters who were more uh, wealthy and whiter turned out at a higher rate. I'm sorry, Thea, I didn't watch my timer at the end. There there are lots more reasons, and if I could just close. We're concerned with suppressing minorities and those that are in poverty. We're, I'm concerned.
1: And I'm gonna cut you off because we'll have more time. Sorry, sorry to cut you off there. Okay, thank you so much. Great, okay, so now each side has three minutes to summarize their position. So we're gonna start that three minutes with
2: Scott and I will start the timer when you start presenting. Thank you. Yeah, in in response, and I just kind of wanna respond to a couple of points here. There's no algorithm, there's no computer tabulating votes in a strange way. Um, Imagine three stacks of votes for three candidates. There's four for one candidate, four for another, and two for the third candidate. What happens is you simply pick up that stack of two ballots and you look at what the next choice is for that person in last place and those two go to one candidate, that candidate wins. Um, in terms of disenfranchisement, we've heard this, this false premise raised again and again. Well, here's the truth of it. The League of Women Voters in, in Maine pulled the voters. 90% of them liked it, found it pleasant. They, they researched on whether there was an issue in terms of ballots dropping off. And what they found was successful voting was absolutely comparable and at the same rate of the current system. What's even more convincing, of course, is that the League of Women Voters here in Alaska has studied this ballot measure for six months, and they have found that it will actually empower more voters and enfranchise more voters. Don't take my word for it, take theirs. Another issue, they've talked about our funding, let's talk about theirs. We are disclosing and over-disclosing our donors. We're giving you information even beyond the groups that give to us, but the people who give to that group. NOON2 is receiving funds from the same entities that dropped a quarter million dollars into Alaska's elections in their primaries this year. This is dark money, RLSC, Club for Growth, Americans for Prosperity, dark money being used to fight dark money disclosures. Even worse, NOON2 was caught a few weeks ago hiding those sources from the public by the Alaska Public Offices Commission, claiming that their top three donors were actually three individuals that had given less than 1% of their funds. That's who we're fighting against. So in a nutshell, here's what they're telling you. Fewer choices is better for you as a voter. Don't worry about this. We'll present you with the two choices you're entitled to. But ask yourself, is the status quo working for Alaska? Shouldn't we expect balanced budgets, infrastructure, public safety, good schools? Bottom line, shouldn't we expect rational decision-making from our leaders? Most Alaskans think we're on the wrong track and rightly so. Big problems need big solutions big solutions only get reached when we come together as Alaskans. Rather than reward partisanship as a current system does, we would be rewarding statesmanship. Finally, ask yourself whether the voters or party operatives and special interests should control elections that we pay for. Should we be in charge or should the parties? Elections should be run for the people's benefit, not the parties. These reforms will get more Alaskans involved, drive up voter turnout, and give all voters, every voter, regardless of party or lack thereof, more power and more choice. The best way to move Alaska forward is for the voters to take back control of their own elections and vote yes on two. Thank you. Great, thank you, Scott.
1: Okay, and now uh, starting with Brett, you have three minutes
3: and go ahead. The proponents of this measure talk about politics over people. Our group, Defend Alaska Elections Vote No on Two is comprised of Alaskans from around the state of every political stripe, color, background, income level, and they're all fighting to ensure that Alaskans, not outside billionaires, are electing our leaders. The proponents of this measure have invented a problem and offer a solution that's proven in other locales that does not work and, in fact, can make things worse. History is often the best predictor of future events. Let's take a look at Alaska election history. In 1978, Dick Randolph was elected as Libertarian, first state house candidate in the nation. 1990, Wally Hickel was elected as governor on the Alaska Independence Party ticket. From 2007 to 2013, Alaska Senate was governed by a bipartisan majority, In 2010, Lisa Murkowski won a historic write-in campaign campaign beating both the Republican and Democratic candidates. And in 2014, Bill Walker elected governor on the unity ticket. In our current legislature, the Alaska House is governed by a multi-party majority led by an independent speaker. And in our current election this year, you will find 16 candidates for state office that are nonpartisan or undeclared. In addition to candidates from the Republican, Democrat, AIP and Libertarian parties. Our history clearly shows that Alaskans already choose diversity in our leaders. Again, history is often a predictor of future events. Let's look to San Francisco for a moment. They adopted ranked choice voting in 2002. Um, they've used it ever since 2004. Since 2004, their property crime is up 17%. San Francisco has now got the highest property crime rates in any city in California. Since 2007, their homeless population has nearly doubled. Since 2006, the horrible drug overdose deaths are up 62%. Property crime homelessness drugs have all significantly increased since ranked choice voting went into effect in 2004. Would anybody say the residents of San Francisco are better off today than they were 16 years ago? I'm not suggesting that ranked choice voting caused those problems, but it has certainly not been the cure all the proponents that are suggesting. With the issues facing our state, now is not the time to try an experimental election system designed to reward candidates who say the least and smile the most. We need leaders that are not afraid to take a position. We need broad, diverse discussion of issues and ideas. We need to know our vote counts, just the same as our neighbors vote. And we need surety, transparency, and confidence in our elections. This proposal weakens all of those important necessities. Alaskans have strong opinions and respect those of our neighbor. We're a big, diverse, sparsely populated, and close-knit state. We aren't California, New York, or Colorado. We chose to be Alaskan. We know and live, shop, worship, work, and interact with our elected officials. And we pick leaders that align with our issues and beliefs for a reason. Should this proposal pass, all that goes away. Alaskans deserve better than ballot measure two. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Brett.
1: Okay, we're now gonna enter the next section of the discussion. So during this portion, each side will have the opportunity to ask a question to the other side. So the way this will work is we will have one side, they'll have one minute to state the question. And then the other side will have two minutes for an initial response. And then the the asking side will have a minute to follow up. And then we have a a final minute for just a, a final answer. So we're taking about five minutes for each of these rounds of questions. We're hoping to at least get through two questions from each side. We are starting this round uh, with the, the opposition. Sorry, I just looked at my notes. So Brett or Anna, you have one minute to uh, state your question. And then Scott and uh, Andrew, you will have two minutes for your initial response. So go ahead and I'll start the timer when you start.
5: Thanks, Thea, uh, uh, I'll take the first one. Uh, Scott, Andrew, uh, you have only uh, publicly disclosed three donors from out-of-state groups that fund over 99% of your campaign on the website. Uh, your disclosures include no amounts or names. You simply link APOC reports and provide no additional details. Would this be illegal under ballot measure two? If not, why are you giving voters the
2: impression that ballot measure two will end dark money? So that, that's a great question, Senator McKinnon. And what you have to do is kind of go back in time to why do we have dark money? So dark money exists um, in the the candidate realm because of the Citizens United case in 2010. And what that said was, even though it's a candidate campaign, you can spend unlimited amounts. Uh, Money equals speech, so to speak. But that was just to do with candidate campaigns. Ballot measures always existed under a completely different statutory regime because there was always unlimited amounts of money allowed because the thought being, you can go look at a statute, you can read a statute, a statute can't be bribed, the statute will be what it is. So ballot measures existed over here. And the great tectonic shift happened over here with Citizens United. That's the measure, that's the decision that blew a hole through disclosure requirements for all 50 states, and all 50 states have struggled to keep up. And so Alaska, like many, most of the other states doesn't yet have stringent disclosure requirements to make up for that to say, okay, well, where did this money really come from? I will say this measure just attacks the um, candidate part because that's what changed under Citizens United. Um, that's super important, of course, because of the influence as Andrew illustrated that that can have on public officials. Um, that being said, I would love to go back and hey, in two years, if you and Brett would like to do the same thing for ballot measures on another ballot measure, I would love to do it. But you know, already we've got the criticism of this thing being too long. Trying to expand it to a whole other regime would have made it another 10 pages long. I think it's an important issue, but the critical issue right now is who is influencing our public officials and who are they? When we disclose and we over-disclose who our donors are, we're actually going beyond the law and kind of living up to the laws we think it should be to be an exemplar. We're not doing it because this would change, that ballot measure two would change that. We're doing it because it's the right thing to do. And frankly, no one too isn't doing the same is that all right if I respond?
5: Yeah, go ahead. So you have one minute for (laughs) follow-up. Thank you. Uh, Well, I would just say, Scott, that um, instead of influencing, uh, the initiative process influences the people of Alaska and $5 million from um, out-of-state against, it it feels a little bit like David and Goliath, uh, however you want to describe that, that we don't have the same opportunities that you do because out-of-state money is coming in and putting in a really nice Cadillac uh, for everyone to look at. Your website is beautiful, but I know that you're complying with the law. I just don't agree that if you're going to campaign and say that we're trying to get rid of dark money, that we're only focusing on elections, which I agree that's what you've done. uh, But dark money is rolling into the state right now and we're not able to see um, what is happening and who is actually influencing this measure and why why they want to spend so much money in Alaska it could be much better used in other ways right now.
1: Okay, one minute for our final final response.
2: Yeah, thank you. Um, and it's a great discussion and I'd love to have it further. Uh, I will say ballot measure two was written 100% by Alaskans in Alaska. It was actually based off a couple of bills that had actually been filed in the legislature and had died a quick death because of what they tried to do. Um, I, I, we have gotten funding from outside because I think they've seen that Alaska could lead the way with a state-of-the-art election system that actually turns the state around and turns the state of partisanship away from destroying uh, our state, our country, our civil discourse. We are fighting upstream. It's true, um, we have more funds, but of course, no on too has the official support of political parties, and those are powerful entities that are fighting back to keep their power. We are fighting against the parties to some degree, and we'll keep fighting, and we will put every message out that we can to reach Alaskans, because we think when we deliver that mass message, Alaskans will want to take this power back.
1: Great. Thank you very much.
2: Okay. So
1: the next uh, question uh, is to be posed by Scott or Andrew, and you have one minute to state your question.
4: Great. Thank you. Um, this obviously would be for Brett as the campaign manager. Uh, good evening, Brett. Um, as the campaign manager, uh, you are responsible for running the campaign, right? You, the buck or the bucks, in this case, stop with you. Five days ago, Alaska's campaign watchdog agency found you guilty of violating campaign finance laws while you were running three weeks worth of television ads. That means, Brett, that the campaign you are running against reforming election laws broke election laws while telling Alaskans there was no reason to reform election laws. That's, that's quite a feat. The, the agency called Your personal actions, and I will quote from official testimony, a ruse, and went on to say your ads were, and I quote again from the official testimony, wildly inaccurate. Question, how do you try and continue to claim the high ground to argue against dark money disclosure when you yourself tried skirting existing APOC rules regarding dark money disclosures?
1: Okay, thank you. And Brett, you have two minutes for your response. Brett and Anna, you have two minutes
3: for your response. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity for this question. As for us, we followed advice from APOC staff, and that was overturned by the APOC commission. We followed the ruling and changed our disclaimer, which had Mark Begich as a supporter. He remains a supporter. Now let's remind everyone of the question that comes back to you, Andrew, and that's, your group is called Yes on 2 for Better Elections and let you continually represent yourself as Alaskans for better elections, despite that Alaskan is no longer part of your official name, nor is your campaign funded by Alaskans. Why should Alaskans take your proposed reform seriously when you're violating election law and misrepresenting your campaign to the public? The
4: exact thing you claim ballot measure 2 will stop. Anything? Okay, a lot to unpack there. Um, so just, let's just, just, one Andrew, sure. just one second,
1: Andrew, just one second. You still have a minute, so anything from you on that, Anna? No. Okay. Go ahead, Andrew. You have a minute.
4: Great. Thanks. Um, A lot to unpack there, but let's actually start with the facts and everybody on this call can go to APOC and look. Mm -hmm. The APOC staff testified that they had told you that your plan was not acceptable. In fact, Brett, if it would have been acceptable and the staff would have pre-approved it, you would have been found guilty of violating. So if we're going to play the name game, how in the world can you call your group defending Alaska's elections when you're breaking election laws? Let's move on to the next thing. I myself have given to this campaign. A lot of Alaskans have given to this campaign. So while both campaigns, and I think it is the, the, the you bring up a great point, we're living in a world of Citizens United where there is dark money. Our attempt is to able to flush that out and take it from dark money into transparency. So I think if we're gonna throw stones here, I, I think you need to be careful before you pick up those stones because okay. of both sides of this ballot measure, your side is the only side that has been found guilty okay. of breaking the laws that you are now against reforming.
1: Okay, um, Brett and Anna, you have one minute for a final answer.
3: Yeah, I figured it was a long thought <laughs> that you'd ask the question about your misleading of Alaskans, Andrew, but I can tell you again, and please everybody look at the APOC decision. We're doing our best to comply. I called the APOC staff and asked them about the disclaimer. I was advised by Mr. Lucas, their attorney, that is my source of advice, that what we were doing was fine. And he testified to that during the hearing. The APOC commissioners in their ruling said, we disagree with the staff's advice. I followed the staff's advice. When that changed to APOC commissioners having a different feeling, I immediately followed their advice. We're doing all we can participate in a fair and reasonable election process against Goliath and their 5.8 million dollars.
1: Anything further from you, Anna? Let's see. Brett and Anna, you now have one minute to pose a question to the other side.
5: Thank you, Thea. Um, Scott or Andrew, um, you talked about the involvement of Alaskans, so I really would like to hear about which groups um, you involved. I, I try to watch the paper uh, for places and opportunities that I can find out information as well. This is a huge document, 25 pages, um, our opening described why it was like that. But um, can you talk about who you reached out to and who was um, part of the conversation that helped
2: develop this process? Yeah, Wait. absolutely. Um, Scott and you got two minutes, Scott and Andrew. Yeah. And I think that one, uh, apologies to Andrew, but I think that one's directed kind of specifically at me. Okay. Um, yeah, so again, it was Alaska-grown, it was Alaska-conceived. Um, I spoke with probably a good dozen people. I will say some of those people are members of both parties. Some of those people don't want to be named because they believe it will end their career even to challenge the parties. But I will say, for example, people who who I, I vetted these ideas with and worked with are as diverse as Bruce Patello. He was Attorney General, uh, you know, uh, he's a prominent Democrat. And people who I think, you know, Senator McKinnon, even you have a ton of respect for people like Sheldon Fisher, who's a conservative, who's a businessman, and everyone agreed across the spectrum, hey, the system's broke. I might not say it out loud. Some of them have, but the system is broken. We're not getting good outcomes for anyone. So bipartisan support that has agreed, hey, we've had a fiscal uh, crisis for six or eight years, and for some reason we can't fix it. Is it because you can get reelected in perpetuity by pointing at the other side? Likely it is. So again, um, written in Alaska by Alaskans, based largely on bills that had been filed in the Alaska Legislature, drafted by Ledge Legal, that we then took uh, elements from and adapted. Because of course, you know the reason this is a ballot measure and not a law is because you can't expect a legislature that's elected under the current system and the majority of which are beholden to one party or the other to make this change. This is a change that could only come from the voters. So it really is grassroots, believe it or not. It really is bipartisan, believe it or not. I've got many, many people who love what I'm doing from both parties. I've got many, many people from both parties who hate what we're doing here. But the truth is it's from Alaska. It really is.
5: Well, uh, I'll take it first and then I'll leave it to Brett. Brett, um, Scott, that's not my understanding. Uh, We can pull chunks of it out from other uh, spots in our country. And there's a national wave going on of this particular group and these particular people that are donating money uh, to try to affect change in, in states that have small populations to bring this experiment into. And uh, anyway, I'll leave it at that. I wasn't invited into the conversation. I believe in process when I was a committee chair, we heard those bills, we processed those bills through and we sent them to the floor. Certainly not all bills. I, um, I know that there's controversy about other things, but I, I tried to act in the best interest of Alaskans on, the, on those corners and that is a process.
3: I, I would just add that anytime there's such an extensive rewrite of our laws, Alaskans deserve to be a part of the process of crafting it, right? It's fair to say that this, that this didn't occur with this initiative. They okay, got them. Okay, fair enough. That's, that's, you
2: have a minute for a final answer on that one. Yeah. So, um, and I agree with Brett. This is ideally, this would go through the legislature. The truth is, ballot measures have to be filed before the legislative session, so the legislature can take action. The legislature didn't touch this. There are times when the people have to enact laws by initiative we wouldn't have financial disclosures for our public officials, but for, a public, but for a public initiative. We wouldn't have, believe it or not, Alaska had a period of time where there were no campaign limits. You could give $100,000 to an elected official for their campaign. We wouldn't have those limits without ballot measures. So sometimes the people have to say, ethically, we have to, you know, for ethics, for financial disclosures, we have to step forward and we have to impose our will upon the legislature, and this is one of those moments. There is a national wave um, as Senator McKinnon points out, but there may be a national wave because frankly, the two political parties are often serving up candidates no one wants, and they're pulling the, party, the, the country apart in the process. So if there is a feeling in Alaska that we're on the wrong track, that feeling seems to be spreading nationwide. Okay, great.
1: Thank you, thank you all.
2: So uh, now uh, the second question uh,
1: for that Andrew and Scott can pose, You have one minute to pose your question. I'll start the timer when you start.
2: Yeah, and this is, uh, I'm I'm taking this one. So ballot measure two specifically, not ranked choice voting and not studies cherry picked from across the country, but ranked choice voting and the, the, the suite of reforms in ballot measure two have been studied by the League of Women Voters of Alaska for six months. Tana Chiefs, who runs a robust get out the native vote effort, studied it for nearly a year. They've both endorsed it. The Sightline Institute did a months-long study, and they posted that to their website, a a nonpartisan think tank. They didn't didn't endorse a yes vote, but they produced information showing the benefits that could come from the reform. The Libertarian Party, Green Party, Independent Speaker, Bryce Edgman have all endorsed. So my question to either one of you on the team is what nonpartisan trusted entities, not political, not partisan entities, what nonpartisan... Trusted entities have studied ballot measure two, this measure, and have concluded that there should be a no vote. Okay, Brad and Anna, you have two minutes for your response.
3: Scott, thank you for the question. So yes, there's many people have studied this and made a pick, and you're asking for somebody nonpartisan. So take a look at our 33 co-chairs, please. People attending, go to the Defend Alaska Election site and see how many people. Are a no vote on this from every political view, from every politi- political spectrum. Undeclared independence. Read the op-eds that have been produced by our by our co-chairs. So, so I would say that we have the labor union IBW that has studied this issue for quite some time. They're a no. We have um, we have former lieutenant governors that are a no. We have a former division of directions Elector, election, division of elections director. Josie Bonkey Hardy Scott, that served with you, she's a no vote. That's somebody that knows a lot about how our elections work and is deathly afraid of what this measure would do. So certainly you can look at the Alaska Policy Forum, you can look at the Maine Policy Forum, you can look at many think tanks, and they have determined that this is not in the best interest of Alaska, but it's really up to the Alaskan voters to decide. This isn't about politics. When you get down to the core, this is about people. This is people's, the individual's chance to reach out and actually touch their government. And their vote needs to matter. It needs to count. It needs to be fair, and people have to have some surety that when they show up to the polls, all of those things are in place. Thank you,
1: Anna. Anything you want to add to that? Okay, uh, Scott or Andrew, you have one minute for a follow-up.
2: Yeah, I would. I would just quickly say, um, I heard. A, I heard a lot of. I heard a few names there. Um, I didn't hear about an entity. I didn't hear about anyone actually studying this measure with some academic rigor and determining as you individually have determined that it's the wrong way for Alaska. I heard you list some names and I appreciate that. You have supporters, we have supporters, but again, Alaska Policy Forum, I don't believe by anyone's measure would would qualify as a nonpartisan entity, nor am I even aware of them saying anything other than vote no. I'm not aware of a study that shows mathematically, geographically, demographically, there's no data. There's no data to back up what you say. The truth is a yes on two will lead to more democratic results, better governance, and candidates winning who have more support. Okay, Brett and
1: Anna, you have one minute for a final, final on that one.
3: So the idea that there's no data is just actually ludicrous. We've been presenting data. We have slides with data. We've been doing the research. We've talked to policy groups around the nation. We've talked to policy groups in our state. There is a ton of research on there that shows the problems with ranked choice voting. So the idea of Either side having a monopoly on independent thought on this issue is just not the case. Again, this is about people. People are going to read this, they're going to look at this, they're going to determine this, and they're going to decide which way they want to go. So it's not about influencing them with who we know. It's about giving good information and letting Alaskans make their choice at the polls.
5: And I would just add, um, Scott, it's very discouraging to watch what happens in other states as they've tried this. And and they haven't tried it at other states. I mean, you... Uh, the sponsors of this initiative are starting at the top, uh, affecting everyone, but um, not trying it at the municipal level, not seeing if people like it. In other states, they have turned it away. They've tried it for an election. They have not gotten the results that they wanted. They did not. They saw okay. money spending going up and uh, choice going down. So, Okay. It, Thank you. Really Thank you. Thanks.
1: So I think we actually do have time for another question from each side. So let me start with um, Anna and Brett. Do you have a third question you would like to pose? And if so, you've got a minute to do that.
3: You bet. Let's come back to this issue and lay some things to rest. So I'll take the question. Again, your group is called Yes on Two for Better Elections and let you continually misrepresent yourself as Alaskans for better elections, despite the fact that Alaskan is no longer a part of your official name, nor is your campaign funded by Alaskans. Why should Alaskans take a proposed reform seriously when you're violating election law and misrepresenting your campaign to the public? The exact same thing ballot measure two will stop.
1: Okay, um, Scott and Andrew, you've got two minutes to respond.
2: Yeah, yeah, uh, you know, that was a curious comment. I'd, I'd be interested to hear Brett back up if, if in what way, in any way we've ever violated the law. Um, I don't think that's the case. Um, it's Alaskans for better elections for purposes of our disclaimer, we're yes on two for better elections because you can fit that on a sign. Um, We are 100% Alaska grown, 100% Alaska staff. We have hundreds of donors. We have dozens and dozens of uh, endorsements from Alaskans. We've got, I mean, if we wanna keep score, we've got magnitudes more endorsements than the no on two campaign. And truly this is about, um, you know, Alaskans rising up. 62% of Alaskans don't affiliate with either party. And some members of the, you know, some current members of the party aren't real happy with how it goes either. So it's really about Alaskans taking their power back. We we won't um, we can't present people with the solutions to their problems. But what we can do is offer to all voters: here's a toolbox. Our democracy is struggling right now. Our policy making is struggling right now. Here's a toolbox to make your elected officials more accountable to you and the will of all voters. And we're confident that Alaskans are going to rise up together and they're the ones who get to vote and they're going to decide to take that power for themselves. Cause again, you cannot say this does anything but give more power and information to Alaska voters. That's all it does at the end of the day. And we think the voters are going to choose to take that power for themselves.
1: Andrew, anything you want to add? You got like 20 seconds. Nope. Okay. Um, Brett and Anna, you have one minute to respond to that.
3: Well, I figured it was a long shot that you'd actually answer the question, Scott. Um, now let's remind everybody what the original question was. Why do you think you should be above the law and mislead Alaskan voters by using a name that's not under your official group name? It's not okay to use it just because it fits on a sign. You know the law is clear. Your name has to be registered with APOC and you file filings under that name. You've not done so. You're calling yourself Alaskans for better elections after you changed your name in April. You're filing under yes on two for better elections. It's clearly a violation, Scott. And and, and you know, you're know you using APOC as a tactic in this election, one of many of the tactics that we're not very pleased with. Um, again, please explain why it's okay for you to mislead voters, and not just because it fits on a sign, please.
2: Yeah, I guess I will answer that, because I think you know you may not understand the law, Brett, and I don't mean this at all in a condescending way. I, the, truthfully, when a ballot measure, we were Alaskans for better elections, we proposed the ballot measure, We fought with the administration in court to be able to gather our signatures. We gathered our signatures. We fought again at the state Supreme Court. We won there, and we got certified from the ballot. And when we got certified for the ballot, the director of elections says, which ballot measure is which number? And when they say that, it is a requirement of state law that we include the ballot number in our name. We have to do that. So did we change our name in order to do that? We did, because we have to, to comply with the law. So... Again, a little confused of this rabbit trail we're going on, but 100% confident we're complying with the law and we'll continue to comply and go beyond compliance.
1: Okay, thanks. Um, Last question uh, can be started by Scott and Andrew of uh, Brett and Anna. So you have one minute to state your question.
4: Sure, Um, thanks, I'll, I'll take this question and I'm gonna direct it to Senator McKinnon because we're both former legislators and both policy people. And this is really kind of a policy question. Um, good evening, Senator McKenna. It's good to see you. Um, less than 20% of the voters show up in a primary election, and in some highly partisan districts, only 5 to 10% of the electorate end up choosing who ultimately uh, represents them in Juneau. To add insult to low voter turnout, when those who do participate in a primary show up to vote, they're placed in a box by not allowing them to choose uh, uh, from a ballot of all candidates, just those in a particular party. So somebody like myself who might like my senator and not like my house member, you know, I'm locked into one ballot. But the little known fact that is incredibly important is that the public pays the cost of primary elections. So that means the public is paying for political parties to limit their ballot choices. Andrew, please state your question. Sure. Uh, Question is, uh, you've been a champion of getting good value for your dollar. Since the public is paying the cost of the primary election, why shouldn't the public get maximum value by having the entire slate of candidates to choose from instead of okay. getting shortchanged okay. by closed partisan primaries?
1: Okay, I think we got your question. Okay, you have two minutes to respond, Anna. Well,
5: for, first, it's Anna now, so I appreciate those that um, give me the title. I, it's very humble. Thank you, Andrew. Um, but Anna for now, or Grandma. Um, the the public uh, and what they pay for things uh, comes in the form of choice. Uh, From my perspective, I chose to be listed and run in the Republican primary because I believed in those values. And that gives the people that are coming to the polls an opportunity to at least know some of the basic values that someone has when they're running. Now what we see happening uh, is people entering, and, and even in this ballot initiative, people can put whatever letter or number or whatever they want beside their name to try to flag to individual voters who they are without actually having to be them at all. So this this concept uh, that the the, the public is paying, I think the public wants to know who the people are that they are running for, both on the Democratic side and on the Republican side, on Green Party, on Libertarian. They want to know what your core values are. And this, uh, what I've heard Brett say as a jungle primary, for, for me, it's just confusing overall. Um, I I think that the people get what they want by having it it, uh, defined in a box that people are checking into willingly. I didn't go into that Republican box unwillingly. I went there because I believed in 95 percent of everything that was on that Republican Party platform in 1999 when I started uh, that race.
1: Okay, thank you, Anna. Um, Andrew, you have one minute to respond to that.
4: Um, You you know, I I agree with you that that voters want choice and they want to understand their candidates. But once they understand their candidates, they should have the freedom to choose those candidates. We live in a state where 60 percent of the voters are nonpartisan or unaffiliated. So, you know, for the the 35 percent or or so that that are registered Republicans, I mean, they're driving the bus for the rest of the 60 percent that's not attached to a party. And so, you know, when, when we talk about voter affiliation, all of these things will still be there. Andrew Hopper will still be able to campaign as a Republican and still be able to, uh, is to communicate with, with, with my constituents what I stand for. The difference is, is that when they go to the polls, they actually have a choice whether to vote for me or somebody else that might be running. So, you know, to, to, to me, your response is, 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 is really like, I agree with you. Voters need choices. But right now, when they show up at a primary, they are put in a box okay. and not given any choice.
1: Thank you, Andrew. Okay. Anna, you have the, uh, the last minute.
4: Um, trying to write it all down as quickly
5: as I can. I, I think that voters have a, a choice and I think most voters in our state uh, pull a particular ballot that they want. And there are a few voters that feel disenfranchised because they want to vote on different tickets. Uh, so Andrea, I'll give you that, that there are some voters that feel like that, but how I've watched election results come out is a majority pulls one particular ticket, and this particular initiative is trying to pry into that, and from my opinion, start stacking multiple people up in elections, and so those top four are going to look very different and very confusing for a large portion of the population, because you're going to have all of these voters are there that cannot be analyzed or will not be vetted in the same way that this, the current primary process does. And I would like to have another entire discussion about uh, voter turnout and what I think about voter turnout and why those numbers are low.
1: Okay, that was great, panelists. That was, that's hard work. So maybe take a deep breath.
0: Thanks for joining us today for Addressing Alaskans. You just heard a debate about ballot measure two regarding top four ranked choice voting and campaign finance disclosures. Speakers in support of the initiative were Scott Kendall and Andrew Halcrow. Speakers opposing the initiative were Brett Huber and Anna McKinnon. The moderator was Thea agnew For the entire event, head to the Addressing Alaskans page on alaskapublic.org. For Alaska Public Media, I'm Amon Swenson. Addressing Alaskans is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Theme music is by Patrick Lee. The views expressed are those of the hosts and participants and do not reflect KSKA or its underwriters. To let us know about an upcoming community event that you would like to hear on Addressing Alaskans, go to our website at alaskapublic.org and click on Contact Us at the bottom of the page. Life
1: Informed, this is Alaska Public Media.